the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. And another Monday evening to you as well. A Monday that we have never seen before, a Monday that is unique to this time in human history alone. There will never be another Monday like this. And for two hours, we get to do what we get to do in this wonderful country of ours called America, where freedoms are often taken for granted and liberties are often squandered. But I am going to encourage you for the next two hours to think positively, think assertively, think biblically, think Christianly, and uh, and engage me in some talk. The Monday edition of Lifeline, your host, Jesse Gistin. Just so glad to be with you. The number one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. You can just take it down just in case you already had some thoughts or some questions or some observations you you wanted to share with yours truly one triple eight three six seven five three two nine is the number to reach me here on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Yes, I am happy. Yes, I am thankful. Yes, I am optimistic. Yes, I am clear minded in my thinking today. Uh, and yes, I'm again, I am so thankful to be here. If one does not understand the process he cannot enjoy life. If one does not understand the process, he cannot enjoy life. And that is not a quote from a sage um, uh, voice of the past that may have you know, contributed to um, the, the conversations in his own culture or to literature, etc. That's something that just came out of my head a few moments ago. If one does not understand the process, he cannot enjoy life. And life is to be enjoyed, um, particularly when we understand it from God's vantage point. But what do I really mean by if one does not understand the process, he cannot enjoy life. Life largely is filled with suffering, sickness, and sadness. I think you would agree with that. It's largely filled with suffering, sickness, and sadness. And we have just a couple of options of dealing with that overarching tenor of life, suffering, sickness, and sadness. Uh, And that is to either uh, meet it head on and deal with it Um, advisedly and with some knowledge and with some resources um, or avoid it. So people are living in two kinds of um, reactions, if you will, to the overarching reality of life, which is filled with suffering, sickness, sadness, and, and the like. And that is to either deal with it from an avoidance standpoint, which means extreme measures, you know, like just opting out of looking at the world through a prism of reality and dealing with it from a sort of pseudo world of uh, alternative reality. That's what's cyberspace is all about and media is often all about to just give you an option out of the real way of the world. And a lot of people are operating in an avoidance mode of existence. And so their philosophy of life is eat, drink and be merry for, you know, tomorrow we die. 
Uh, and, and because they don't believe in eternal consequences, death is no big old deal. So let's see if we can eat as much as we can, drink as much as we can, and live as much as we can just in case we die. Then there's the other approach to life that I think is really the more noble way, uh, noble way of dealing with suffering and sickness and sadness, because we're all going to have it. Solomon said, as knowledge increases, so does sadness. <laughs> and as wisdom increases, so does grief. That's just the juxtaposition of living every day. That's why I say when babies come out of the womb, they come out crying because the world is filled with suffering, sickness and sadness. But if you deal with it um, determinately, if you press through uh, advisedly, if you face the world biblically, if you engage this process that I'm talking about called life um, uh, with the grace of God, you can actually enjoy the process. Why? Because when you face the world appropriately, when you deal with suffering biblically, when you face suffering with a right mindset, Suffering simply strengthens you. Suffering simply strengthens you. And sickness will bring clarity to your mind. When you have those periods in your life where you are mentally ill, and I'm not talking about in some pathological way that just completely um, disengages you from life, but I'm just talking about how we can be disoriented. Um, We can be painfully disoriented, painfully disoriented. Uh, driven to uh, mental despair and uh, a loss of real mental clarity. Uh, Once we find ourselves coming out of the clouds uh, and realizing what is in front of us or even what was behind us, we recognize um, a, a more accurate and a more noble way of thinking and dealing with life. I call that mental clarity. In the Bible, it would be called illumination or epiphanies or insights that allows us now to actually begin the process of developing tools to uh, engage life on a much more pragmatic level. Um, And then once one has learned how to engage this rhythm of life called suffering for the purpose of being strengthened and sicknesses for the purposes of clarity of mind, and then sadnesses because things come, things go. People come, people go. Relationships come, relationships go. Our life is topsy-turvy and it's cyclical and all sorts of these things are happening in our world. And I know if you're listening, you know that what I am saying is true. Now, what does all this do for you and I as we are making our way towards the celestial city? Well, it's doing exactly what the third person has been meant to occupy your life and actually shape your um, world to do, and that is to build your character. God wants his people to be people of character, people whose character are contributory towards life, towards the sphere of influence and the scope of influence that you may have in your own um, circle and environment, that your daily life would increase your strength, your clarity of mind, and your character. That's exactly what Romans chapter 5 is instructing us where the Apostle Paul says that we must learn how to capture and embrace uh, suffering and trouble, even to the degree of glorying. And it is one of those words, doxa, that the Apostle Paul uses a lot. And we're not always real clear on why he does. But here's what he says as sort of a theological framework for my reflection on if one does not understand uh, the process, he cannot enjoy life. But if he does understand the process 
life can be enjoyed. Listen to this. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have, what's the word? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This here is a relational peace. It's not necessarily a subjective peace yet. It's not necessarily the peace of the mind or the peace of the uh, disposition of our whole faculty, the frame of our life. This is peace with God on a theological and a positional level that uh, God's wrath no longer hangs over our head and that God is satisfied in the marriage and atoning work of Christ for our sin. And so God is not angry with us and we don't have to look at him in terms of the vindictiveness of his holy and righteous wrath against our sin. That is a great, great commodity for those who believe the gospel. Then he goes on, the apostle goes on to say, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have peace with God only how? Through our Lord Jesus by whom also, that is by Christ, we also have access by this faith into this grace wherein we stand. Now, what the apostle is saying is that the believer has a standing of grace, unmerited favor, demerited favor, the supply of the riches of Christ at his or her disposal because we are justified freely by his grace and because we are at peace with God and rather God is at peace with us. And because we are standing in grace, we can rejoice in hope. Do you see it? Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's what I mean by if we understand the process, then we can enjoy this life. Because what we're really rejoicing in is the end game, the end product of all of this suffering, all of this sickness, all of this sadness. And here's what the apostle says. He says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations. There it is. These are the troubles. These are the trials. These are the ellipses. These are the straits. These are the confinements. These are the chaos and clouds that we enter into when the normalcy of our world is turned upside down. I was talking to our men in our men's meeting a couple of weeks ago about how important it is to be able to take objective propositional truth like scripture and make sure that we uh, apply that truth in a way in which we build tools to practically employ the truth. It is no good to merely know what the Bible says and not actually walk in its principles because the walking in the principles of scripture is what it means to have faith. To walk in the principles of Scripture is that vital living faith by which we have hope in God. And daily then we're moving in these tools that God gives us that we learn over time how to walk with God and pray to God and hear from God and trust in God and follow his precepts and acquire wisdom and 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 and, and, and also have the ability to pivot and move and shift and change and modify, uh, particularly when the world moves into its its unstable mode. But certainly, ladies and gentlemen, when the clouds come, and they will come, they will come, the cloud between objective, propositional, biblical truth, the cloud between that which the Bible says, and you know what it says, and what you do every day in relationship to those principles. There's a cloud that often comes, and it tries you. It's called the cloud of chaos. It's the cloud of confusion. It's the cloud that comes with trouble and pain and suffering that hits you from uh, nowhere. And you didn't know it. It was coming and it came and it knocked you off your feet. And now you're discombobulated. Now you are disoriented. Now you're in a, a weird place emotionally, psychologically, um, practically. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that has you you know, depressed and anxious and fearful 
and doubting. So you've lost your you've lost your bearing. What happened? Objective propositional truth didn't go anywhere. It was your tools that you lost. The subjective everyday application of the truth by which even though the clouds come, if you maintain your position, if you continue your solid biblical practice, if you walk in those principles, position, practice, principles of grace, of the gospel, of a life of the gospel. What Paul said in Philippians chapter one, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you walk in the grace wherein you stand, when you walk in the faith where Wherein you are saved, when you walk in the justification, when you walk in the peace of relationship with God, when the clouds come, you come to discover that all you have to do is close your physical eyes and you can still see. When the clouds come, you can close your physical eyes and you can still see. Why? Because the just shall live by what? They shall walk by what? They shall die by what? And so when you're walking by faith, when you're living by faith, when you're dying by faith, the clouds don't affect your reality. Now, a lot of people get completely taken aback when trouble comes. And see, they can only really walk with God in the normalcy of life. But once clouds come, and that's what Christ meant in Matthew chapter 13, Mark chapter 4, Luke chapter 8, when he gave the parable of the sower and the seed. And he said, when that, when that seed that falls on shallow ground um, is choked by the cares of this life, that person's faith is discombobulated. They don't even need, know what to do with the Bible now that they can't pay their bills, now that they can't have their amenities, now that they're about to be ashamed by being put out of their home, now that they're in a kind of situation where everybody sees them and they appear to be, they appear to be um, under the curse of God. Now, all of a sudden, their faith is is um, is withered. And again, the next one is the stony ground here where everything is good as long as the Lord's blessing. Um, but but as soon as my riches are threatened, my my uh, my blessings are threatened by tribulation for the word sake. Uh-uh. Jesus, I didn't I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this kind of trouble. But you did. You really did. You really did. When you said, Lord Jesus, save me, he brought you into a process that actually meant for you to go straight through the storm, face the trials, address the challenges, deal with the hurdles and the setbacks and the pits and the struggles and the constraints and the problems of this world and the sin of our fallen nature and the depravity of our wicked hearts and the corruption of our sinful nature. He meant for you to face it. That's the difficulty of faith. But he meant for you to do what Paul is saying now before we go to the break. He means for you to understand this access by faith into the grace wherein which we stand, by which we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation because we know that tribulation works patience. That is endurance and endurance. When you persevere at length, it actually develops character. And character actually is the byproduct of a living hope and fruitfulness in your life. Ah, as I close out on my opening monologue, as I stated, if if one does not understand the process, he cannot enjoy life. If one does understand the process, it's painful as it may be. Whatever you're going through even now, you can rejoice in the grown folk joy that believers have that one day it will be better. 
this is the promise of God to us, and it is the um, other side of faith, for uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So what can we do every day? We wake up, even with just a measure of grace, just a measure of grace where we're still saying, where we're still in our right mind, where we're still believing God, where we're still trusting God, even though our circumstances may be dire, they may be bizarre, they may be very weak and feeble. We can still rejoice because we understand the process. You understand what I'm saying? The process. So very, so very important. The number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Therefore, this is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We can talk about the struggle. We can talk about the challenges. We can talk about the process. What's yours? One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. What's your challenge this year, um, today, right now? That's that 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 may be threatening your joy, or what is it that you're going through that you have resolved to be joyful as you are going through it? It's the Monday edition of Lifeline with your host Jesse Gistan. Again, glad to just be with you. Let's get this conversation started. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. And we're back the time 525 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We're talking rejoicing in tribulation. Do you know anything about that topic? Um, do you have a particular trial that you're going through that God is teaching you how to rejoice in it and walk through it in an authentic Christian way? Give me a call. Let's talk about it. one 367 the reason why I'm kind of discussing this is because this is really where we live in our Christian world. Um, we don't live, uh, as it were, in a vacuum, um, in a space where we don't live with the tension of uh, of suffering and, 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 and joy. We live right in the middle of a, a bunch of pain, a bunch of sorrow. And sometimes we can lose sight of the fact that that's ordained of God. And then we'll do all that we can to move around it, through it, and away from it, and fail to realize that as people of God, we are between grace and glory. Between the grace of God that I've described in Romans chapter 5 and the glory of God that is ours at our death and at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what is between grace and glory if your theology is healthy? It's sanctification. Really, we don't like that. We really don't like having to go through the process of sanctification. But that's where we are. So struggles come and troubles come and pains come. And we can look for causes, and there might be causes, but sometimes it's just because. God is growing you. He's maturing you. He's changing you. He's breaking you. He's stripping you, plundering you of your pride and arrogance and assumptions and all of us, that's what he does in our life. That's a daily thing with the third person, definitely. We're having a great time. Um, our women's theology class started last Wednesday. We are on for 10 weeks at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. Just a phenomenal turnout, just phenomenal between our website and uh, and the women showing up. We had about 200 uh, students for our women's theology class. I was actually surprised, um, but we're dealing with um, understanding biblical Trinitarianism and the relationship of the three persons in the life of women, because obviously this is a women's theology class. And 
um, just was super excited about the enthusiasm and commitment to um, sound biblical teaching, wanting to go deeper into the Word of God and to be challenged and stretched around the God that Christian women say they know. Um, just excited about it, abundantly excited about it. Our first class was just great. You can go online and check that out, but you can also join us because what we do in our theology classes is we actually take the scriptures, apprehend the scriptures, bring them to bear on our life and demonstrate how that, you know, once you meet God, there is an aspect of glory that enters into your life. And that glory uh, in the immediate sense is the spirit of glory that reveals the son of glory that is called the Lord of glory, who reveals to you the father of glory. And then he makes you a child of glory through that process. So glory is something that you are experiencing uh, every day because that's what sanctification is. Sanctification is glory already begun. Did some of you get that? Sanctification is glory already begun. Before you were saved, you were not glory. Glorious. You were non-glorious. You were inglorious. You were not famous. You were infamous. And when God saved you, he began the process of glory. So there is a light in you that begins to grow and mature and develop and spread. But that light is also dealing with darkness in you, about you and around you as well. And you have to know how to manage the um, the the dichotomy of darkness and light, because that's what God is doing. As the light in you, he is moving through you and showing you things, revealing things to you in the person of Christ uh, and in the purpose of the Father to bring you into communion and fellowship with him so that you can learn what we are beginning. We'll be dealing with this in the third week in our women's theology class. It's called Dancing with Deity. Um, it's learning the rhythm uh, of, of of what it means to walk with God, how to walk with God, how to dance with God, how to let him lead you, how to do the waltz, how to do the foxtrot, how to deal with darkness, how to deal with valleys, how to deal with struggles, how to deal with straits, how to deal with high places, how to deal with level ground, how to deal with terrain and incline, how to deal with sight and blindness, because that's all this is part of the journey. You know that, right? Um, so listen to it because I can tell you they were excited. Our sisters were excited about it. And we are. We've got room if you want to join us so on Wednesday. I'm I'm already told that there's going to be about 25 more. So we we got nine weeks to go. We're dealing with it's called the Trinity and me. The Trinity and me demonstrating biblically the sound propositional uh, truth of Scripture concerning the Trinity from the Old Testament and the New. Dealing with its ontological framework to show how there is but one God and He is revealed as Father. Son and Holy Spirit. God, the true and living God, is Father, together with His Son and with His Spirit. They are the God that you and I know in a saving way and in a redemptive way by which we um, can have eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom He has sent. Now, you might know that on an objective propositional level, but what does that mean in terms of your walk? What does that mean? What does it mean for you to be a believer? And what do you believe in or who do you believe in and how does that impact your everyday life? If you say that Christ is in you as the Bible doth declare, if you say that the spirit reigns in your heart as declares the spirit also and if, uh, the scriptures also. And if the father abides with you, as the son says, I and my father will make ourselves manifest to you and will dwell with you and be in you. John 14. Fabulous promise. Brothers and sisters, tell me what that means, that you would have three divine persons occupying your life 
as you make your way through this wilderness? What does that mean? How do you relate to them individually and how do you relate to them collectively and how do they relate to you? This is what we're talking about. And this is what John meant in John 17, three, when he said, and this is eternal life that they might know you the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. And we have already asserted that eternal life is not merely a position. It's a relationship. And the more we come to know him, the more we come to know life. And the more we come to know him, the more we come to know ourselves. And that's why trouble has to occur. You know what? We find a lot out about ourselves and our troubles, don't we? Don't we discover what we don't know? Don't we discover what we don't really believe? Don't we also discover what we don't have by way of the assumption of strength and virtues and gifts and things of that nature? So it really is a blessing to, uh, to to us from God to be able to have normal patterns of life. That's why he calls us to worship. That's why he calls us to communion and fellowship with him. That's why he calls us to collective fellowship with one another. That's why he calls us to Bible study. And then he calls us out to witness to the world about the grace of God in Christ. And you are to be a burning bush everywhere you go so that you can impact somebody with the paradoxical nature of being a sinner saved by the grace of an all almighty, glorious, redeeming God. But you got to grow in him. You got to learn about him in order to do that. And that's what we're doing. And hopefully that's what we can do today. I got to take another break, but three lines are open. one 367 So you tell me how God is working in your life to show you how to handle your struggles, your troubles, and also rejoice at the same time. Or you may not be handling them well. And if you want to talk about it, I'll be glad to share with you how this sinner is walking by grace in the midst of my fires and my trials and thanking God every day for the process. I'd love to hear from you. one 367 5329 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we're back. The time is 538 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. First hour halfway over. I've got two lines open. one 367 5329 one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you want to call in with your questions or comments or observations, I'm trying to set out a theme about how we handle our troubles and do them in a way in which we uh, mature from them and and also rejoice in them. Because I think we can all admit that sometimes and maybe more frequently than not, uh, the kind of trials that come into our life really does take away our joy. Would you agree with that? Um, and that that on those unusual occasions where joy is there because it's not always there, but on those unusual occasions where the joy is there, there's clarity there. In other words, you are thinking right. So joy is a product of right thinking, not just that you have overcome the circumstance, but that you are thinking right. A lot of our difficulty is because we don't think right. We definitely need to learn the process of biblical thinking, faith thinking relative to our circumstances and 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 and, and see how God comes through in our life uh in light of it. And that's really the testimony of scripture. Um again, one line open 18-367-5329. Uh I, I was just thinking about and I'll go to the phone lines in a little bit. I I was just thinking about why over the last 2 or 3 months I I have just been un unmoved when it comes to the secular news. Um, just just nothing out there that really actually interests me. You know, Donald Trump seems to be always the the you know the the main focal point of 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 
you know, talking points for for your uh, for your media uh, pundits and uh, you know what he does and doesn't do always gets shredded into pieces and determine whether it's good or bad. That's just politics as you and I know it. And so I don't really particularly have any real regard to ha- regurgitate that on on uh, the Monday show. I, I really do like to designate this time towards something that has a more practical and spiritual and redemptive connotation to it. But I was thinking about the young man up in Sacramento last week, Stephon Clark, who was uh, shot and killed by police officers, eight times shot in the back in his own home, uh, and he didn't have a, a weapon or anything. And I, I continue to grieve over uh, what appears to be patternistically a sort of unjustified killing of African-Americans and I suppose men of color as well as the statistics have borne themselves out. And it just bothers me. It just kind of bothers me. And I kind of hope that that never happens to me or my sons or my grandsons um, because there's just there seems to be no real let up of this kind of uh, incidental thing happening, you know, once a month or um, several times a year. And, and, and why is that? And then it creates disruption and people are out in the streets and the freeways are stopped up and ball games are stopped. And I asked the question and you can chime in if you want to. Does society have the right to be enraged at the killing of one of its citizens is Especially by law enforcement when it's done in that manner. Does society have the right to rise up and, and, and say, hey, this is wrong uh, in the form of, uh, of, of protests, in the form of taking to the streets when, in fact, a matter if they don't do it, it's going to be covered up and, and swept under the rug and we move on? Does society, uh, when it comes to a point of feeling like its own judicial system is working against them, does it have the right to do that? Um, And I I think it does. I think it actually has sort of the biblical intimation as well. Do you remember in the uh, in the uh, the code of Deuteronomy? as well as in the book of Le- uh, Leviticus and, and largely in the book of Numbers, actually is what is called the city of refuges, where if a man killed a man inadvertently, he would immediately run. He didn't kill him on purpose, but he immediately run to a city of refuge. Why? Because the whole citizenry, the people, they're called the avenger of blood. Whoever it is that, that recognized that that fraudulent criminal behavior took place, would pursue him to execute justice. God said, make sure you run to a city of refuge before you get caught by that brother's brother or that sister's brother or that, that, that daughter's father, because everybody is somebody's family member. Y'all do know that. Uh, and so if you hurt somebody, you need to really make a swift beeline to a, a city of refuge for protection. And, but, but what happens when it's law enforcement that's doing it? Who's going to rise up and speak out and address it then? This is where many of these groups have uh, foundational validity to express themselves in the context of, of open farms and mediums and news outlets, et cetera, et cetera, when they know that the highest court in the land, not in, not in the universe, but in the land, is the very law enforcement institutions that we are calling upon to protect us when we in, uh, incur harm from other people. Or is it right for that to occur? You guys know what happened up in Sacramento. What say ye? One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I've got one line open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let me talk with Deb in Oakland. Deborah, what's your question, comment, or observation? Jesse. Hi. Hi. 
I don't like the sanctification process. How come? But, but you know why I endure it? Because I picture in my mind the face of Jesus mm-hmm. smiling and saying, my child, my Deborah, thank you mm-hmm. for going through this for my sake. Mm-hmm. And you will run and you will walk and you will do everything because your body was made to work for me. And so in this life and in the life to come, you are perfectly whole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I said, thank you, Jesus, mm-hmm. because I want your beauty, mm-hmm. the beauty of your holiness mm-hmm. upon my life, mm-hmm. in this life and in the life to come. So help us out, because you can do that. Um, we're talking about conflating or juxtaposing suffering, pitting together suffering and joy. You admit it that you don't like it, but is there not an underlying joy that still is reserved for you as a child of God in relationship to knowing that what you are going through right now, Deborah, is a sanctification process? Yes, that's why. Right. I can do it right because of the Lord Jesus, mm-hmm. because I will never suffer in this life or in the life to come the right. way that Indeed. Jesus suffered for me, right. no matter what I go through. I agree. And that is why I tell people, you can do this mm-hmm. because Jesus, Jesus will never let you be alone. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. either he meant that or he didn't. Mm-hmm. And I choose to believe that he did. Mm-hmm. So, when, so, so because so, he did, mm-hmm. I can do this. Mm-hmm. So when you are, and, and I know a little bit about your story, and a lot of people do now because, you know, you are a familiar voice, but not not everybody knows the challenge that you are going through and have been going through for a long time Um when you are going through these things, you know what the Bible says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, as uh, Christ said it to the disciples. It was quoted in the Old Testament, Hebrews chapter 13 and Romans chapter 8. Nothing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Deb, when you are in the pit, when you are in the valley, when you're in the fog, as we all are from time to time, and you could speak to this better than I can, or anyone that has actually not gone through the kind of sustained trouble that you are, um, are there times when you feel alone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel alone. Mm-hmm. But I know it's a lie. Mm-hmm. You know why? Mm-hmm. Well, you because tell me. Jesus said he was a lily of the belly. Right. And the lily of the belly is a tiny little flower. Yeah. But it is very strong and very sturdy. Yeah. And it keeps fighting its way through any obstacle. And Jesus said that he was a little in the belly. And I imagined myself doing that, mm-hmm. struggling up through the obstacles. Mm-hmm. Because the only reason I have obstacles is because God has an enemy and I have an enemy, and we have an enemy in common. Satan hates me yeah. because I love Jesus. Yeah, that's right. Totally. And Jesus loves me because I love him. Yeah. So thinking about the beautiful face of Jesus smiling at me and taking my hand and saying, we can go through this belly together, Deborah. You don't ever have to be alone. I can walk. I can climb the mountains with you. 
and stand on the top of the mountains, or I can be down in the belly and I can be your the lily for you. Mm-hmm. So when I think of that, that makes it all worthwhile. Just see mm-hmm. because I know that uh, my suffering is just temporary. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not permanent. Yeah, and Do- because it's not permanent. I can endure it. But I said, you know, when I think of Satan and all his his uh, associates, whether they be human or spirits, mm-hmm. spirits or human, mm-hmm. I think, well, they're going to live in hell forever, but mm-hmm. I'm not. That's right. And that gives me a smile yeah. because I can say, Throw it at me, Satan. Because mm-hmm. the more you do, mm-hmm. the more you give Jesus the reason to keep you there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's my encouragement. And I hope I expressed it in a way that people understand. Well, I'm going to find out in a minute because I really want people to call. Before I let you go, um, what what is your limitation? Let, let people know, because we all have a kind of suffering. I'm going to talk a little bit about that for today. I know it's uncomfortable for people, but God has given us all a kind of pit, a kind of place of constraint, which requires us to be comfortable with his presence when nobody else wants to be in that pit with us. What is the present uh, honorable pit that you're in that people don't know, by which you have come to understand this rich reality of God in your life? Because people listening, Deb, realize that you know the Bible, you know the grace of God that's given to Christians in a practical way. They've been just blessed by your um, commentary there, but they don't know they don't know the specific challenge and trial. Won't you share that with us just for a minute? You mean my physical? Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, well, I was born at six months mm-hmm. early. Yeah, premium. At that point, I... Uh, uh, they told my parents that I would die within six months because I was born too early. Mm-hmm. And I was born with cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. And I was born, um, and they told told uh, my parents that I probably would not live and that um, uh, they put me in an incubator and it was too hot. Mm-hmm. And so I started screaming and screaming and screaming. I've always had a a big mouth, you see. (laughs) From the very beginning, my dad said, I don't have to worry about Deborah, because all I have to do is listen, and I can hear her. Yeah. That's a gift. She's not a quiet child. She never has been. Yeah, that's a gift, I can tell you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You understand. You (laughs) have that gift, too. I do. (laughs) And so, so uh, that's why I can do this, yep, because yep. I just think of the present and the future, and I'm never alone. See, yeah. when Jesus went through what he went through, his father turned his back yeah. on him, yeah. because he represented sin, yep. Yep. okay? Yep. But Jesus never, never turns his back on us. Yep. He walks with us, he runs with us, he does everything with us, so we're do- Never alone, and that makes it worthwhile, Jesse. Yep, yep. Got to take him. He's with us always. Yep. yep. Thank you. Th- thank you, Deb. Listen, sweet, yeah. sweet, sweet. Thank you. Thank you for that exhortation. That's 
that that will taper and and uh, take us in the next direction after we take the break. I appreciate you. I want to take your women's theology class. If there's ever a way that you can key it into my phone, if you find a way, let me know. Oh, yeah. Okay, so some one of you tech guys out there, get a hold of me. I think that can be done. I don't think that's impossible for us to, to uh, audio line Deb in. So there's there's people working on that. You will love the class. Um, and we'll, we'll see if we can get that done for sure. Audio, if not video. Because I want to do it from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want it two ways so I can comment as you're asking for comment. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's doable. We have a we have a a streamline that does that now. So um, we'll I'll talk to my guys and see what we can do for Miss Deborah. Okay. Okay. Thank you for the call, Jesse. Be careful and take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna try. Pray for me. I will. All right. Bless you. Bless you. Got to take a break. Way overdue. one 367 one Come on, give me a call. Let's talk about this. Uh, let's, let's, let's chat a little bit about how we triumph in the midst of our trials like Deb does. It's a real palsy. Um, she, she, she can't walk. Um, she has to be helped almost in every way and listen to the faith that's triumphing in her life. We got a lot of reason to count our blessings. I'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 